Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. What a Sunday this is. It couldn't be more packed. At least I can't imagine it. We First of all, we have the always a celebration, the observance of Christ's resurrection. That's why we do worship on Sunday. Saturday is still the Sabbath, but Sunday becomes the new day, the eighth day, because of Christ's resurrection. So the primary day of worship moves from Saturday to Sunday with Christianity because of Christ's resurrection. So every Sunday we observe the resurrection of Christ. But on top of that, this Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have the great feast of our Lord's transfiguration on Mount Tabor. That's a very big feast for the Eastern churches, particularly the Byzantine churches, because of what happened there and its significance and its connection with the very most fundamental aspects of our Byzantine spirituality. Let's look at what happened on that mount. On that mountain, Jesus goes to the top, and he is gloriously transfigured. He becomes brilliant, and the voice of his father booms out. And alongside him, on either side of him, and this is depicted in the icons, is the appearance of Moses and Elijah, and why them? And they're shown conversing with Christ. Why them? Because the two of them represent the law and the prophets, which is what the whole of the Old Testament really was about until the coming of Christ. And what this is saying is that Christ fulfills, even transcends the law and the prophets. In other words, all that Moses was about, the prophets and the law that Elijah was about and Moses together, They represent all the prophets and the law. All of that comes to its meaning, the why behind it, its fulfillment in the coming of Christ. So it's very appropriate that these two, representing those two pillars of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, were with Christ in this incredible, magnificent moment. 
But also with him are three mere mortals, <laughs> Peter, James, and John, who were oftentimes with Christ in special moments. He would take those three aside. Peter and James, of course, would become leaders, James of Jerusalem, and Peter, of course, eventually of Rome, and of all the apostles. And John, of course, would then be the one who would write the gospel. So Peter, James, and John. And while they're up on the mount, they were, in a sense, overcome, almost almost in a catatonic or mystical or eschatological experience at the very sight of this transfiguration. The iconography depicts them lying face down on the ground as if they were bowled over and their hands were to their face and covering their mouth as though they were speechless. They were in absolute awe, just totally knocked into another state of existence. And why was this? Well, two reasons. They beheld in that moment the glory of God, not in his fullness. You couldn't possibly behold that. It's just too powerful. It's like trying to look at the sun, stare right into the sun. We can certainly see it for a moment and we can see its rays, but no one can stare right into the sun or even get close to the sun without being completely destroyed. Well, not because the sun is bad, because it's so incredibly great that we can't even take it. So they're seeing the glory of God as Jesus shows that he is both God and man. He's revealing his divinity on Mount Tabor. But the second thing they're beholding is the glory of humanity, of the human person, of the origin and destiny of the human person. We sometimes forget, or we're not really maybe taught as often as we should, or as clearly as we should, that our original destiny, and St. John Paul II in his Theology of Body has some handy words for this. He calls it original man, and then eschatological man. In other words, how we were at the beginning and how we will be forever. In between is what he called historical man. That's what we basically live now. But the original man, in other words, our origins, were glorious. They were very much like Christ being transfigured on Mount Tabor. So it's not just the glory of his divinity, but it's also the glory of his humanness that Peter, James, and John are witnessing, and therefore we too, by virtue of entering into this feast day through the icons and the liturgy. Remember, we too are in the scripture. Scriptures are not history lessons. Yes, they are historical, but they are our experience happening now. That's why we use in liturgical language the word today. We use a present tense meaning that there is no present, past, or future. It all becomes one ongoing experience. So the experience of Peter, James, and John is our experience. We are beholding Christ. And that's why it's so important to come to church, to celebrate, to immerse ourselves in the liturgy, in the way that the church offers to us with the various customs, the scripture, the liturgy. The, as we do in our church today, we bless fruit the, the fruits of the harvest, the fruits that make us mindful of transfiguration. You know, a seed transforms continually until it becomes that full version of itself, a succulent, life-giving fruit. So it's a great parallel from nature of Christ's transfiguration and also of our destiny. So that's the second aspect of Christ's humanity that he revealed on Mount Tabor. Our origins, our glorious origins, but also how we will be in the end of time and forever, if we've made it to heaven, where body and soul is once again reunited and gloriously transfigured. Isn't it incredible what original plan, an ultimate plan, God had for us? What a clear sign of a God who really is a God of mercy and of love, that he had only something marvelous in store for us. And we don't really 
we don't really get that. We don't really think about that. Or if we do, it doesn't really seem to affect our lives the way it should. But that's what happens and why we come to church during these feast days. Because only through the liturgy do we get immersed in the actual reality so that that reality then affects how we behave, how we look at ourselves, how we look at life, how we look at the human person. To understand God's love with his original plan and his ultimate destiny for us, which is just nothing but glory, nothing but good. See, in between all the bad, as John Paul II would call it, the period of historical man, in other words, our living in history, that's not reality. I mean, it's has become part of a reality, but when we're talking about reality, we're talking about what is most real. What is most real is not what we know in our experience of pain and suffering and death as we know it. What's real is how we were intended for the beginning, how we will be forever. And that was not only predicted, foreshadowed, and proven on Mount Tabor, and that was only foreshadowed, but it was proven on Mount Tabor when Jesus Christ transfigured in his human and divine natures. In the liturgical text for this feast day, it is very clear the significance of this event and its theological meaning, its importance for us. At the Vesper service in the Byzantine church, we pray these words, Christ, the light that shone before the sun, dwelt on earth in a human form, wishing to fulfill the divine work of salvation before his cross. Today, today, he mystically reveals the image of the Trinity on Mount Tabor. He took aside his three chosen disciples, Peter, James, and John, and for a short time, he concealed his incarnation. He was transfigured before them, manifested the splendor of the original beauty. By this, he strengthened them in their faith. Yet he spared them from losing their life at this sight. And so their eyes saw only as much as they could behold. He also called upon Moses and Elijah, the most venerable of the prophets, to witness to his divinity, testifying that he is indeed the reflection of his Father, the Lord of the living and the dead. A cloud also enveloped them as a tent, and the voice of the Father bore witness on high, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And the prayer does go on. But notice how it makes these references to the Old Testament as well, because always Christ was doing things, and again, it's in the details, to show that he is the fulfillment of those things that were only foreshadowed, hinted at in the Old Testament. He was always doing that. He was always dropping hints. He knew that these people knew their scripture and their history. And so he would set things up where they would recognize and hopefully make that connection. Remember when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's one of the Psalms. It's a verse from one of the Psalms in the scripture. So his people would have recognized that. They would have recognized that what's in the Old Testament is now being seen in this person, this person in front of them, showing that he is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this glorious Feast of the Transfiguration and its relevancy not only to the Byzantine spirituality, but to our lives in general. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. 
With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. sitting in the middle of the award-winning prairie at Annunciation Parish in beautiful Homer Glen, Illinois. And with me is Father Tom Loya. Father Tom, please tell us about Prairie Fest. This is the 12th anniversary of Prairie Fest, which is a festival for the entire family, where you'll enjoy music, a grand cash raffle with over $15,000 in cash prizes, a beer garden, children's section, family events, great food, bake sale, board painting, and more. Prairie Fest kicks off Friday, August 9th at 5 p.m. when you can enjoy the musical duo Common Allies. Then at 7.30, Kaleidoscope Eyes take you on an acoustic tribute to the Beatles. Saturday, August 10th is Family Day as Prairie Fest kicks off at noon with music from Matthew Rich, a magic act, a board painting class, and classic cars. Fast forward to 4 p.m. to enjoy the music group JT Acoustic. Then at 7.30, five guys named Mo will cap off this fantastic family day. Sunday is Polka Day from 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. with Tony Plazonchek's new phase kicking the day off at 11. While you're enjoying all this music, food, and fun at Prairie Fest, I'll take you on a guided tour of our beautiful prairie and you can tour Annunciation Church's breathtaking interior. All are welcome to attend a Byzantine Catholic liturgy or Mass Saturday night at 11 and Sunday morning at 10. Any Catholic in good standing may receive Holy Communion. Bring your family and friends for a great time at Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 9th through the 11th at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. For complete details, visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com for Prairie Fest. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you.
Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We have a glorious day today, a doubly glorious day today, a day of double splendor. The resurrection of our Lord is always on Sunday, and also it happens to be where the Feast of the Transfiguration has fallen on Sunday. It's always on August 6th this year. Happily, it's on Sunday. So this is a powerful day, a day of great radiance and glory. Before we go any further, I just want to remind you of a few events that you've been hearing about. Our Prairie Fest, which is coming up next weekend, actually. To get information about that, go to byzantinecatholic.com. You can see all the great things that we're doing there. Lots and lots of fun and food, fellowship, tours of the church, tours of our award-winning prairie. Again, Prairie Fest. Now back to our glorious feast day of the transfiguration of our Lord. A few more liturgical texts that are very telling, as always, of the meaning of this and why it's so important, why I'm so excited about celebrating this feast this week. In the Matins for today, this Feast of the Transfiguration, we pray these prayers, showing the change that mortals will undergo, O Lord, when they enter your glory at your second and awesome coming. You were transfigured on Mount Tabor. Elijah and Moses conversed with you. And seeing your glory, the three disciples whom you had chosen were struck with your splendor, O Lord, as you covered them with your brightness. Also send your light upon our souls. Now you see, the dogmatic hymns of the Byzantine divine office, our matins, our vespers, and so on, and our liturgy, it's so full of allegorical typology of theology done in great poetry, and of course it's all chanted. It said these things I mentioned earlier. Christ's transfiguration reveals the change that we will undergo at your second coming. Remember, our bodies rise up, And we are reunited with our souls, gloriously transfigured, intact, integrated. In a sense, the word would be virginal. And then I mentioned that the three disciples were awestruck, Peter, James, and John, and that's in this text as well. And it said that you covered them with your brightness. Also, send your light upon our souls. So this draws us into, draws us, us into this reality. Again, it's not just an icon, a picture of a historical event. It's through the icons, through the prayer, we enter into that reality because we need to. Why do we need to? We need to because, number one, to understand the glory of God and his great love, the depth of the incarnation, although it's very difficult to do so, to to really grasp it entirely in our small little minds, such a mystery, the great mystery So we see the glory of God, his incredible love, his self-emptying. But we also then get the accurate view of the human person. So oftentimes in the difficulties that we see in our world today, the hate, the killing, the war, just the, the horrendous behavior of human beings towards other human beings, for whatever reason, from war to long standing feuds to racism to whatever, it's just unbelievable. And it's unbelievable because we don't believe in what it really means to be human. If something is glorious and marvelous and wonderful, you don't abuse it, you don't hurt it, you don't kill it, unless you're really, really sick. You care for it. You revere it. You cherish it. Well, that's how we're supposed to be to one another. Why? Well, all we have to do is look to this feast that tells us what we are. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We have a supernatural destiny, a glorious destiny. We have a glorious origin and a glorious destiny. In the Eastern churches, 
We have a particular emphasis in our anthropology, as does the West, but the emphases are a little bit different, yet they arrive at the same point. That's always the key to understanding things on this program. The two lungs of the church, which we feature, largely Eastern lung, are all about sharing each other's riches and seeing how we arrive ultimately at the same point, but in complementary ways. A great book that was written way back, a little, it's a little booklet, written way back in 1963 by a well-known Byzantine Jesuit priest, Father Robert Taft, one of the greatest liturgical theologians of our time. He wrote this book back in 1963. It's just a little short book, almost like a pamphlet. And he compares this point that I'm making here of the different anthropological approaches between East and West. The booklet is called Eastern Rite Catholicism, Its Heritage and Vocation. Eastern Rite Catholicism, Its Heritage and Vocation by Robert F. Taft. At that time, it was put out by Paulus Press. You might be able to still get it there. And guess what? It cost 15 cents back in 1963. (laughs) This is what Father Taft says. The devotional attitudes of Easterners and Westerners are in harmony with their views of the church. The Westerner tends to emphasize the moral aspects of the sacramental and spiritual life, the strength received to aid him in his pilgrimage toward his final beatitude. Grace is seen as a principle of meritorious action, restoring to man the capacity for salutary works. The Oriental, however, in other words, the Eastern churches, sees man more as an imperfect similitude of God, which grace perfects. His life in Christ is a progressive transfiguration into the likeness of God. Less is said of merit, satisfaction, beatitude, than of divinization, transfiguration, the transformation of man into the image of God. You notice there are two different approaches here. One, the starting point for the East, is that we are in the image likeness of God, but we have lost that likeness. We still have the image. And we grow into really what is the return to our true selves through our growth and holiness, in other words, through ascetical practices, through the prayer of the church and renouncing sin and choosing good, going to confession and so on. In the West, the growth and holiness becomes a bit of what you might call an additive thing. In other words, as we choose the right ways, we receive more grace, and then that changes us. As Father Tafts said here, grace is seen as a principle of meritorious action, restoring to man the capacity for salutary works. It's a little bit different twist in each approach, but they both arrive at the same thing. Let's face it, they arrive at the fullness of the human person, which means holiness, the image of God, being like Christ. And the prayers and the liturgical texts in the Byzantine Church for this theology, this transfiguration, all point to that process of changing, of becoming, of ongoing and constant growth. We call this divinization or deification or theosis, which goes on in some way even to the next life. We're always changing. We're always growing and transforming. Why? Because only God is perfect. That's why God is perfect. Being does not change. He's always the same because he has nothing to change into, nothing to change towards. We do. We're always going to be in the process of perfection because we are the creature and not the creator. We're the book. He's the author. So we need to be read. We need to change. We need to turn our pages 
He does not. He is the author. In the liturgical text, we also have indicated certain readings, and always on feast days like this, at the Vesper service, we read the Old Testament readings. And those Old Testament readings for this Feast of the Transfiguration come from Exodus chapter 24, Exodus chapter 33, and 1 Kings chapter 19. These all have to do with Moses' appearance before God, God communicating with Moses, a cloud coming over them, the intimacy of Moses with God, and also the intimacy of God with Elijah in that famous passage where he hears, Elijah hears God, not in the roar of the wind and thunder, but in the gentle breeze, a passage that is often quoted today. So again, we hearken back to the Old Testament, and we make that as relevant today as any day. We drop all restrictions of time, enter into the Kairos timelessness, and the transfiguration of our Lord becomes our experience and our transfiguration, especially through the liturgical prayer of the church. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Bishop Robert Barron on the priesthood. For the first thousand years, there were married priests within the church. There still are married priests under certain circumstances, you know, so it's not absolutely necessary. However, I'm a supporter of it, and I wouldn't want us to move in the direction of kind of a, hey, you know, optional, some do it, some don't. I get it. And I, I go back to Paul, and it's Paul's words that are actually in the ordination ritual, you know, about an undivided life, undivided life, a total gift. I have nothing but the greatest respect for married people. In fact, when I hear the term heroic sanctity, when they talk about saints, I think of parents right away, you know, who give themselves to their kids. But there's something, I think, pure and simple and undivided about the life of celibacy. It's a radical conformity unto the celibate Christ. Why am I celibate? My ultimate answer, because Jesus was, and I'm conformed to him. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!